found at the end of John 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be present with us this morning to open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. Would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Would you minister your grace to us through your scripture and your Holy Spirit? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When you come into our house, you will likely be greeted by a large 100-pound yellow lab and a small 37-and-a-half-pound curly blonde hair blue-eyed toddler. And Maddie Grace will grab you by the hand and she will drag you through our house and she will say, come see my womb, come see my womb, come see my womb. And she will show you her room. She will show you her dollhouse with her little dolls and her Paw Patrol uh, figurines that she just got for Christmas. And she'll show you her bed where she sleeps and her, with her nightgown. And she will show you her, her, her chair where she reads her books. And she'll show you her dresser. And when she's done showing you her room, she'll grab you by the hand and she'll drag you back through the house. And she'll say, come see my play womb. Come and see my play womb. And she'll show you her playroom. She'll show you the little kitchen that she has in there with all of her food and pots and pans and where she makes food for mommy and daddy. And then she'll show you her books where she reads. She'll show you her little daybed where she watches her TV. She only gets one show a day, I promise. We're good parents. Totally kidding. She watches way more than one show. And when she's done showing you her playroom, she'll grab you by the hand and she'll say, come and see my backyard. Come see my backyard. She'll take you out in the backyard and she'll show you her wit. She loves her wit. Wit is our dog. 
And she'll show you her swing set with her swings and she'll show you baby Jack's swing because baby Jack has his own swing. He's not big enough to swing on the big kid's swings. She'll show you her slide and her trampoline and her little car. And she does all of this. She shows you all of these things. She introduces you to all of her stuff and to her people and to her dog because she wants you to be as intimately acquainted with them as she is. She wants you to know us like she knows us. She wants you to enjoy her things as much as she enjoys her things. She loves mommy and daddy. She loves baby Jack. She loves baby sister. Not yet born baby sister. She loves her wit. She loves her playroom. She loves her room. She loves her backyard. And she wants you to love them too. And here at the end of John 1, John invites you to come and see. He takes you by the hand and screams, come and see, come and see. He wants you to see his world and not just his world, but the one who changed his world. He wants you to see the one who he loves, but better yet, first loved him. He wants you to come and see Jesus. And if you were to take John up on that offer to come and see Jesus, you will find the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You'll you'll find the Messiah, the anointed savior of God's people. You'll find the one who Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. You'll find the son of God, a divine title in in the gospels. You'll find the Davidic king of Israel who God had promised to, to David to sit on his throne, one of his sons to sit on his throne forever. You'll find that king and you'll find the son of man. All of these Old Testament figures conflate into one individual. They are all combined into one person, Jesus. The Israel likely anticipated these would be multiple figures throughout many years, but they combine In Jesus, when God becomes flesh, he becomes prophet, priest, and king. The fulfillment of the Old Testament expectation. And that means one massive thing for us this morning. It means that Jesus demands our surrender. If Jesus really is prophet, priest, and king, and he really does fulfill all of the Old Testament expectation, then he demands our surrender. When Jesus says, follow me, When he says, come and see, and then he says, follow me, he's not just saying, come hang out, let's be buddies. He's not just wanting to be your friend. He's wanting to be your Lord. This is all life encompassing. When he says, follow me, it encompasses the entirety of your life. He's claiming your life and demanding your surrender. And in this passage, surrender takes two forms. First, you surrender your desires. Take a look at that first kind of episode where two of John's disciples, or John the Baptist's disciples, are with him. And when he says, behold the Lamb of God, they leave. They leave John, and they start following Jesus. When Jesus sees them, he turns and he sees them following him. He asks them an interesting question. What are you seeking? Now, at at one level, he's asking the disciples, what are you guys looking for? And they answer that question, what are you looking for? They say, well, we're just, just wondering where you're staying. Can we come hang out? We wanna know you. He just said you're the Lamb of God. 
Where are you staying? So Jesus invites them to come and see. But as is done in most of the Gospel of John, Jesus asks a question and he's asking a much deeper question. You see, the disciples take it at this kind of surfacey level, but Jesus is asking a much deeper question than just what are you looking for? At a deeper level, Jesus is asking them, what do you desire? You see, in the Gospel of John, John will use this word seeking a number of ways, but there's always motive behind the seeking. Some, he'll use it at one point to uh, designate the Pharisees seeking to kill Jesus. You see, they want Jesus dead because Jesus is disrupting them, and so they're going to seek and search for his death. At another point, Jesus will use it and say that he is seeking to do the will of his Father who sent him. See, there's a motive behind the seeking. There's something driving the search. And that's the question Jesus is asking his disciples. And y'all, that's the question Jesus asks us this morning. At some point, we are all gonna have to answer that one question. What are you seeking? At some point in our lives, we're gonna have to answer the question, what is your desire? What drives you? What motivates you to do the things that you do? So what is that for you? What is that thing that pushes you? What's that thing that gets you up in the morning? What's the person who awakens you, who awakens your soul and drives you and motivates you? Is it power? Is it prestige? Is it importance? Do you feel like you're, you're, you're unimportant in the world and your whole life is being lived in order to be important? Is it your family? Are your kids getting you up in the morning? Yes, they do. They scream and they yell and they wake you up. But at a deeper level, what's driving you? What's motivating you in your actions and your seeking? Because friends, we're all, we're all gonna have to answer that question. We're all gonna stand before God and God will ask us, what are you seeking? Whether this life or in the life to come before God's throne, you will have to answer that question. What does your life desire most? And when Jesus asks you this question, he's not just asking for you to state a fact. He's actually asking you to state your allegiance. Because the thing that drives you is the thing you're actually giving your life to. So if it's power, you're giving yourself to power. If it's money, you're giving yourself to money. If it's your kids, you're giving yourself to your kids. And Jesus is asking you to state your allegiance. What motivates you? animates your life. We were watching on Christmas Day an animated movie called The Star. If you're familiar with it, it's, uh, it's an animated movie following the nativity story, and it's, it actually follows it from the perspective of the animals. Now, I don't think it's entirely accurate, but it's cute, and Maddie Grace likes movies, and so Christmas Day we watched a fun animated movie but it follows one particular animal, the donkey, that carried Mary into Bethlehem. And this donkey grew up being a mill donkey. He grew up tied to this long wooden pole that was strapped to another long wooden pole and it was, he would walk around milling grain his whole life, he grew up this way. But his deepest desire was to leave this mill 
and to go join the royal caravan. That, that's what animated his life. And so he finally got out. He finally got out of the mill and he ran away from the miller and through some unfortunate circumstances, ends up in the home of Mary and Joseph. A very pregnant Mary finds this donkey in her home and he's hurt and she takes care of him. And over time, she grows to love him. And over time, he grows to love her and to care for her. And, but finally, he gets the opportunity to join the royal caravan. He leaves when, when Mary and Joseph are on their way to Bethlehem. He leaves and he finds the royal caravan and he sees them in the distance. And he stops and realizes he had surrendered his desire to someone else. He had given his heart and his desire to someone else, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. When he sees that thing he had longed for that had animated him and driven him, most of his life, he stops and he goes back to Mary because he had surrendered himself to someone else. And he carries Mary on his back into Bethlehem and as he and the wise men are kneeling around the manger, he has an epiphany. He realizes he had been carrying the king on his back the whole time. You see, his desires had been fulfilled in ways he never could have imagined. And something happens to Andrew that's very similar. He sees Jesus and just says, Rabbi, where are you staying? And then he encounters Jesus and he stays with him. And what does he go tell his brother? Brother, we found the Messiah. His desires had been fulfilled in ways he never would have imagined because he surrendered those desires to Jesus. And when we surrender our desires to him, when we offer ourselves to him and he becomes our greatest desire, he fulfills all of our desires in ways that we never could have imagined. And so he invites you, come and see and surrender your desires. And then secondly, he commands you to surrender your skepticism. Take a look at that next episode. He calls Philip. He had left for Galilee. He finds Philip and says, follow me. So Philip follows him. And then Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel and says to him, Nathaniel, we found him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote about. It's Jesus of Nazareth, Joseph's son. And Nathaniel asks a pretty snarky question. He gets, he gets pretty skeptical. Can anything good come from Nazareth? There's something animating that. There's a reason behind that skepticism. There had been a lot of messiahs that had come out of Nazareth and they were false. You see, he was waiting for the real messiah. They were all waiting for the real messiah, for the one who Moses and the prophets wrote about. But instead of slamming him, Philip just says, come and see. He invites him to lay aside his skepticism, to let his skepticism take the back seat and take Jesus for who he really is. And does Jesus condemn Nathaniel? Shake your heads, no. He doesn't condemn Nathaniel. But he also doesn't praise him for being the perfect Israelite. How does Jesus respond? He says to Nathaniel, after he had come to him, Jesus saw him coming and he said, Behold, an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. You know, some people take that as him praising Nathaniel for being a true Israelite. That's not exactly what he's saying. He's actually, this is actually a little snarky. Jesus is being 
sarcastic back to Nathaniel, but he also doesn't crush him. He doesn't crush him and tell him to walk away and leave him alone. He receives him. He receives Nathaniel. And Jesus is also using a little play on words here. You see, when he speaks of Israel and deceit, he's using a little play on words. In the Old Testament, there's a patriarch who was known as the deceiver. Y'all know, Jacob. Jacob was the deceiver. Jacob deceived his brother for his birthright. He deceived his father for his blessing. He was deceived by Laban with his wives. But then he encountered God. He encountered the one true God, wrestled with him. And God blesses him, changes his name away from Jacob the deceiver and calls him Israel, the one who struggles with God. See, it's like Jesus is saying, look, Israel and not Jacob. You don't come to Jesus with the duplicitous desires of Jacob. You come to him laying aside your skepticism and you come to him as an honest Israelite. Jesus commends Nathanael not for being the perfect Israelite, but for being willing to lay aside his skepticism and taking Jesus on his own terms. Now, skepticism in the church takes a number of different forms. Most of us are not having like a really difficult intellectual question. We're not questioning Jesus's identity. We don't usually question that Jesus existed or that he was resurrected. We take that. We believe that. We believe that to be intellectually plausible, that Jesus existed, that he died, was resurrected for our sins, that he is God made flesh. We've come to that conclusion. But usually our skepticism and our questions come in the form of moral questions and questions motivated by our culture. I'll tell you how you can know when you're questioning and you're throwing some skeptical things out to God. When we ask the question, does God really say? Or does Jesus really mean? Fill in the blank. Does Jesus really demand blank of my life? Fill in that blank for yourself. Whether you consciously or unconsciously are asking the question, what is it for you? Does God really want me to bring my kids into the worship service so that they can worship with the people of God? Because that's really hard. Does God really ask me to give 10% of my income back to him as a sacrifice of thanksgiving? Does God really say that it's wrong for me to sleep with my girlfriend? What is it for you? Does God really say that I'm to love my neighbor? Well, who's my neighbor? Is it the lady down the road who keeps asking me to mow her yard? Does God really say that I'm to love him with my whole heart and to love my neighbor as myself? And the way you answer that question is crucial for your understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, and what he expects from you. Because if you come to Jesus having already answered that question, having already answered the question of your skepticism, the Jesus you will see is only the Jesus that you want to see. If you come to Jesus having already answered that question, having already made up the answer in your mind, then you will only see a Jesus of your mind, of your making, not the Jesus of the Bible. And so you have to come to Jesus with your questions, 
But letting your skepticism take the back seat. Not coming to Jesus having made up your mind about him. Not having made up your mind about what he expects from you. You let the skepticism take the back seat and let Jesus answer for himself. And that's what Nathaniel has done. He takes Jesus on his own terms. And when he, he comes face to face with the Messiah, what does he say? You truly are the son of God, the king of Israel. But why? What would motivate anyone to surrender our whole lives? What would motivate us and animate us to surrender our desires and our skepticism, to come to Jesus on his own terms and to let him shape our desires? We find the answer in the last verse. Jesus tells Nathanael, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, now he's actually speaking to all of the disciples with him that you is a plural. Truly, truly, I say to y'all, Y'all will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see what Jesus is referencing is a story in the Old Testament where Jacob had a dream in Genesis 28. Jacob falls asleep and he has a dream of this staircase or a ladder and the heavens are opened and God is there and the angels are ascending and descending on the ladder from God to earth. And Jacob's conclusion is, truly, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is where heaven meets earth. This is where God comes to dwell with us. And Jesus uses that and says, no, no. You won't see the angels ascending and descending on a ladder you will see them ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is the better temple. He is where God meets earth. He's the reunion of heaven and earth. You see what happened in the fall was that there was a veil put between the earthly and the heavenly. There's a veil put between us and God. And what Jacob could only dream about the reunion of heaven and earth. Jesus makes a reality. What Jacob could only hope for, Jesus is. Jesus is the better temple. And he comes, he enters into flesh, taking on flesh and blood and bones and sinews in order to reverse the effects of the fall. Jesus walks into humanity, takes on flesh, dies and resurrects and ascends in order that he would reverse the effects of that fall, that he would make it all right again. At the end of The Lord of the Rings, the last book, Return of the King, Samwise Gamgee asks Gandalf this question. The, the ring, the one ring that rules all rings has been destroyed and he asks Gandalf this question, Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? What has happened to our world? And Gandalf responds, a great shadow has departed. And he laughs this glorious laugh that sounds like music, that sounds like water in a parched land because all of the sad things are coming untrue. 
And friends, the same is happening in Jesus. He is rolling back the curse. He enters into human flesh. He takes on our curse for us and he rolls back that curse on our behalf. He is the better temple. He is God's presence among us. And you submit to him. You surrender your whole lives to him, your desire and your skepticism. You come and see this savior because he's God with us, rolling back the effects of the fall. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all that you have done for us in Jesus. To work for our salvation, to roll back those curses that we brought upon ourselves in the fall. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to do so. That you would empower us to lay aside our skepticism and to offer to you all of our desires that they might be fulfilled in ways that we could never imagine. Give us more of your grace, we ask this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.